Hello, and welcome to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I am your host, Sean Needham, along with my wife and producer, Janet. And today on the phones, we have Jason Jablonski of Set Coaching. Um, he is my coach uh, for mountain bike racing and has helped to change my life. Uh, amazing athlete in his own right, for sure. I, um, I, I always know who is going to be the guy to contend with when he shows up at a race. So um, that's super exciting. And we're going to go into a little bit of his history. Um, he's a great, great guy in general. Uh, we're going to hit on a lot of topics, including diet and training and um, and why why we should all exercise. So, um, Jason, are you there with us? Jason, can we hear? Can you hear us? I can. Oh, there you are. All right, Jason. Glad to have you on. All right. So welcome to our show, Jason, and super excited to have you on. Thanks much. I'm looking forward to it. It'll be fun. Yeah. So why don't you give us a little bit of your your history, Jason, so you can tell our viewers and, and listeners a little bit about yourself. Okay. Um, my name is Jason Jablonski. I live in Wenatchee. I've lived here, uh, I don't really want to say. Um, that would date me. I think 26 years. So since I graduated high school, I pretty much moved over here. Went to WVC, the college here, then went to Central to finish up. Graduated with a degree in education with minors in biology and math and taught for a little bit, actually. And then after my first year of teaching, I got offered a contract to race my bike. I had kind of dabbled in mountain biking through college and then got into it pretty heavily from, you know, right after I graduated. And I couldn't really say no to being paid to race my bike. You know, I made minimal amounts of money, but it was kind of a, at that age, I think I was early 20s, you know, kind of a dream come true. So right, absolutely. pursued that for a long time and got into coaching kind of midway through that and ended up getting into triathlons after mountain biking because uh, I was retiring, in air quotes, from a mediocre um, professional mountain bike career and uh, got into triathlon, kind of dabbled in that. And my first year in triathlon, ended up winning the Xterra Amateur World Championship. So I was a first amateur to cross the line in the extra world championship in 2005 and that kind of led me into a few years of kind of continuing my athletic endeavors um racing triathlon and xterra and then was coaching pretty heavily then and decided it was time for me to kind of pursue coaching full-time because i was getting pretty busy and really enjoying it and um kind of switched my passion i guess so that's kind of a, a breakdown in a nutshell that's that's super exciting. So for our listeners and viewers out there that might not know what Xterra is, tell yeah. us a little bit about what Xterra is. Sure, sure. Xterra is basically the same thing as an Olympic distance triathlon, but you're doing the swim, well, you're doing the swim in a, a mountain lake or an ocean or something like that. Then it's a mountain bike and then a trail run. So it's all off-road. So it's basically an Olympic distance triathlon off-road. The distances vary just because of terrain restrictions um they can be longer or shorter but in that thing so sounds super fun to me it it was in fact to this day i still think i mean i i'm just you know i'm an endurance sports junkie i enjoy running skiing nordic skiing swimming all those things but you know i never had as much fun as i did when i was doing xr triathlon so so tell us a little bit about your coaching today um what, what what you're you know what you're currently doing now Sure, sure. Um, so 
and co- I coach endurance athletes. Um, like I said, I've been doing that for quite a while. I think 17, 18 years is when I started set coaching. Um, I guess, yeah, for quite some time. So on the side, basically when I was racing, but full time after I kind of hung it up and, you know, just participated as a master's athlete. So I coach endurance athletes in, you know, swimming. I've had cyclists, runners, lots of cyclists, actually. It's kind of my bread and butter. Um, triathletes, Nordic skiers, I'm trying to think of some obscure sports that I've coached athletes through, but primarily those, you know, runners, swimmers, cyclists, triathletes, Nordic skiers. So right now I work, um, I contract with USA Cycling, so I run the junior and U23 programs for USA Cycling's mountain bike division. So I work a lot with mountain bikers anymore. So Super, super exciting. So one of the things I love about doing this radio show is, you know, you've been, I've been working with you for, I don't know, maybe five years now. And yeah. And I, you know, when I do a radio show, even though I've known some people for a while, I always learn something. And I, I didn't know that you had a, um, Nordic skiers that you train Nordic skiers. That's super exciting. Yeah. I, uh, Nordic skiing is one of my passions. I coached a pretty large Nordic ski team here for a while. Um, for I guess two years, uh, Leavenworth, Leavenworth Nordic ski team. I was the head coach and program manager for them for a couple of years. And I've always been involved in Nordic skiing. I worked for, on the side, I contract with other ski companies. I've been working for actually for Swick, which is a Nordic ski wax, well, Alpine and Nordic ski wax company. I still contract with them. I do race service for them. So show up the races, talk up to athletes about the specific race wax and, um, structure that they need for their skis. So I just actually just finished up two weekends. I was at the Boulder Mountain Tour in Sun Valley. And I was up in Winthrop for their Ski to the Sun race, just talking to athletes about different race waxes and what to use. So. That's awesome. That's awesome. So with all your uh, expertise in so many areas, we're going to have to focus today since we only have an hour. And, of course, my passion um, is mountain biking. Um, we're going to... Understandable. Yeah, right. I, I, I love it. And <laughs> You make me love it even more, although I will say sometimes um, when I'm doing some of your workouts, I'm like, why does Jason do this to me? <laughs> but it all pays off. everything, I promise. <laughs> but it all pays off in the end. So um, let's exactly. just focus. Yeah. Let's just focus on cycling. Um, and I got a, I got a quick story to go into that. Um, one thing that I've always, that I've always talked to patients about um, and about cycling is that, you know, you can cycle at any age. I mean, there's hundred year olds right. that cycle. Um, so, you know, my, um, Janet and I, we rode the Palm Springs, uh, tour to Palm Springs this weekend and we yeah. both rode a hundred miles and Janet says that there was a guy that was in his eighties that was riding with her, which is just super, Isn't super cool. Yeah. So, Tell us a little bit about cycling and why, and, and you've helped me a little bit with this when you had me do some cross training, that running didn't work so well for me. Um, so tell us a little bit about cycling versus running and why you can possibly um, do cycling, you know, later in life and, and so on. Yeah, cycling is a very low impact sport. Um, you're basically, it's very linear. I mean, it's kind of one motion, just rotation of those pedals, you know. So as long as we're relatively stable and strong, you know, core exercises, upper body stuff. It's a static position in the upper body, and the legs just bend the knees, bend the ankles, and then working at the hips. And it's, again, with a low impact, it's a sport we can do 
as long as we do it well or ever. I mean, I, I do bike fits and I fit athletes that are in their 80s, you know, and they're planning these big, huge tours, you know. So it's something that we can participate in for life. And that's what I always tell my, tell my athletes is if they pick cycling as a sport, it's something, how long can I progress? You know, we all worry about, you know, age catching Absolutely. up with this. And yeah, it's not being able to progress in the sport. And boy, cycling is one, it's, you have a long time before you have to start, you know, just kind of toning it down, I guess. Yeah, you know, there's a story of, uh, you might have to tell me with the name, Ned, Ned Overton, is that correct? Ned Overton. Overton. I mean, he's <laughs> yeah, in... The long. Yeah, is he in uh, Durango, Colorado, correct? Correct. And he's in his 60s, and he's competitive at a, in the open level, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, so Ned Overton, you know, and there's those anomalies out there, and Ned is one of them. He right. has a VO2, which is an oxygen uptake number, that is kind of off the chart. <laughs> but Ned just does it well. He takes a lot of downtime, does a ton of cross training. And I think, gosh, Ned's got to be, he's got to be in his 60s, mid to late 60s. And I coach athletes in Durango, and they have this uh, Tuesday night world championships race that they do there. It's a ride. It's a road ride. And it's Durango's a mecca. And Ned Overend, you know, I have athletes that are professional athletes in their 20s. And they'll say, yeah, I was, you know, fifth to the top of the hill. Ned Overend was right behind me. Or Ned Overend was right in front of me. Which, at 60, that's amazing. It is. That's crazy. And it's just, it, it is inspiring. I get it. You know, for us mere mortals, unlike yeah. Ned, you know, we're not going to be at that level. But it's just, it's inspiring to see that a, a guy in his 60s can... Um, you know, compete with with people that are on the national national competitive level in their twenties. Yep. So that's yep. super exciting. So speaking of competitive, um, not not everybody wants to be a competitive cyclist. So right. you you were talking to me about you were just mentioning about um, fitting you know some people in their eighties on their bikes. I, are are those competitive or are they recreational riders or go into a little bit of that? A little bit of both. Um, you know, mostly are. Mostly are recreational, but I have fit, you know, competitive 70 plus year olds. Um, it, you know, I tell people, you know, you don't have to, uh, race in order to be an athlete. You know, if you participate in the sport, you're an athlete. Right. So I've helped, you know, moms finish 5Ks. I've helped moms become pretty close to top professionals, you know, so it's, it just depends on what you want to do. It, you can take it as far as you want to do, as long as you approach it, you know, with a realistic mindset of what you're trying to accomplish in time frame. So, so that being said, so then you have you, a lot of your athletes that you coach, or at least mm -hmm. a few of them, what you're telling me, are more recreational. They're not super competitive. Is that correct? Um, not so much anymore. Um, I have a few that are still recreational. In fact, I'm hoping that my overall log here right now just have a few that are somewhat recreational but um unfortunately i have to limit the amount i can take because of just time frames you know and i try to give everyone enough personal attention so that we're on the same page and i feel like you know coach client relationship is not just here's your plan i'll talk to you later it's a relationship right um getting to know that athlete so i it's important for me to kind of cut cut the number of athletes I work with, but, you know, I, I'm working with an athlete right now who's a Nordic skier, and she picks one big, like, travel event a year, and, you know, this year it's in Poland, last year it was in Norway, and that's her, her world championship. She doesn't necessarily go out to win the thing, 
she wants to show up fit, you know, ready to participate and crush life. Basically, she's extremely busy, a professional, a uh, couple of kids, you know, married. So just, you know, coordinating all that is kind of, I look at, as long as she shows up to that race successful and feels like she's ready to compete, not necessarily with everybody else, but with her previous best, best self, then we're successful. That's cool. So tell me why why somebody should hire a coach. Right. So shameless self plugs here, I guess. But <laughs> um, you know, and that's just it. I, I tell I, when I first start talking to athletes, I say, look, you could probably do this on your own. You could do it fairly well. But if you're looking to achieve a certain specific goal, having someone look at it through a lens that you're not that's not blurred by your um, your anxiety, your day-to-day routine, and looks at things. So taking everything into account, a coach can do that for you. And a coach, as long you know, do your research. I always tell athletes or people looking for a coach, talk to three or four. Don't just go with the first person you talk to. Because, like I said, it's a relationship. It's someone that you need to be able to communicate with, someone you need to be able to feel like you, you know, have good rapport with. So, after talking to two or three coaches, you might find that coach, and it might not be the first one. Um, so that coach can help kind of guide you more than anything with experience, knowing when to push you, when not to push you, when to know that maybe life is catching up with you and you need a little break. Um, because we tend to think, oh, I can, even though I have six meetings this week, um, I'm not sleeping real well because my, you know, my pet is injured. Um, I can still do the workouts because all those other things aren't training. When those things take energy, lots of energy. If you take it away someplace, you know, you if you take energy away during your daily routine, you don't have it to give for your training. So Absolutely. And um, yeah. we're getting ready to go to our first break. One thing I do want to say, though, Jason, is I know the first, my first little meeting with you after a race when I was speaking of my goals and looking for coaches, you know, you were honest with me. You said, hey, don't just talk to me. Make sure you interview a couple other coaches. And... Um, yeah. One of the things that you said to me that really, really hit hard, and we'll go into that next segment, is the first thing you said we were, you were going to teach me how to do was to recover. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so with that, uh, let's go to our first commercial break. You are listening to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Be part of the show. Call in. Ask Jason a question. 509-765-1470. We'll see you in a few. All right. And welcome back to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discuss everything healthcare. I am your host, Sean, along with my wonderful wife, Janet. And we are streaming live at the AM 1470 KBSN studio. If you missed our first segment, we have Jason Jablonski from Set Coaching on the line, who is just happens to be my personal mountain bike training coach and a wonderful athlete and a great friend in itself. Um, so you can catch us on Facebook. Uh, my personal Facebook, Sean Needham's personal Facebook page, also streaming live on the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy YouTube site. Also, um, follow me on Instagram, Health Solutions with Sean Needham, and you'll get little one-minute clips from the from the show along with links. So um, do that. And the podcast forums also, we're on iTunes, Google Podcast, uh, Spotify, all those podcast forums. We archive all the shows. Um, same thing on YouTube. So please check us out. Follow us, subscribe, and leave a review. We'd appreciate it. All right, Jason, are you still with us? I am, I am. All right. So let's talk about recovery. When you met me in the parking lot, or I met you in the parking lot after a race, and you said you were going to teach me how to recover, 
What did you mean by that? So, yeah, we do tons of training. We all love to work out and try to push ourselves and try to beat our personal best and compete with our, you know, our peers. And then sometimes on the national level, just depends on where we're going. But the training is what beats us up. It breaks us down. It tears muscle tissue. It makes us fatigue. And the first thing I say to most athletes is, you know, we're going to work hard on training, yeah. but I want you to become a professional at recovery because the recovery is what actually builds you back up and makes you faster and stronger. You can train all day long, but if you don't recover properly and adapt to the training load, then you're just not going to get better. So the training is act or training is important, but the recovery is actually more important than training. That's when we actually get stronger, correct? Correct, exactly. So, you know, when during your training bouts, your goal is to break yourself down. You're breaking down muscle tissue. You're pushing your body beyond a place that it wanted to go. So that next time, it says, holy cow, that really hurts. So next time I have to do that, I need to build back up so that if I do that same effort at three times a minute, you know, at whatever wattage or heart rate, I can handle it so that we, we have to go harder next because our body has adapted to that workload. So that recovery from that thing is what's actually going to make it better, not necessarily the same. So tell us a little bit about the recovery. Of, I know one thing you mentioned um, to me, it says, you know, recovery for, you know, somebody that's married and has kids and has a full-time job is different than recovery um, of an 18-year-old kid that's sitting on the couch watching TV. Can you expand yeah. on that a little bit? Yeah. So... And like I said, I, I try to work with athletes of all levels, and I have some masters athletes that train sometimes just as much as some professional athletes that I train. But the masters athlete has, you know, they have family, they have work obligations, they have social obligations, kids. So those things all, the cortisol is stressed, right? So our body releases cortisol when we're stressed in training or in life. So if I'm continually increasing my cortisol output, my body's never recovered. So I need to, you know, find out where I can use energy and where I can let some energy just, or let my body recover enough. So if I'm using energy all day to work and then answer questions from employees and then, you know, then I try to go home and do a training bout when my mind is racing with stress, that training isn't going to go as well as I would like it. So making sure that we're sleeping well, we're hydrating, we're eating properly, um, and that's all over the board depending on who you ask. But eating, you know, a mix of definitely a uh, balanced diet and trying to eliminate some of that stress, we can, we can train better and recover better. Yeah, I, I can tell you one, that's one thing that you've really taught me is that it's not necessarily how hard you work out, it's how much you recover. And I think that even goes to to say during the workout i know when you prescribe some of my workouts i thought i'm just used to going hard all the time yeah. and yet yeah. i hit a plateau and i wasn't progressing um right. and you know your workouts were seemed to be easy at first um yeah. and at certain times of season they still are um but i think that there again you can only break your body down so much correct yeah yeah so training your body to be efficient um, and, you know, creating neuromuscular pathways so that when I do say, look, this workout's going to be hard. You are recovered. You're ready. You've got a really good foundation. Let's go. 
where you know your lungs are coming out your nose out of your nose there's a time for that right. you know, and as long as we're ready for it our body's gonna adapt so um well so speaking of recovery i mean you mentioned yeah. diet as part of that so yeah. um let's talk a little bit about about diet we'll go into some i'll ask you some specific questions after you kind of just sure. talk about um, um diet a little bit yeah and again i should preface this with i am not a nutritionist <laughs> um but i always recommend that athletes do uh you know maybe approach in a nutritionist with specific questions um i do have a background in nutrition and that you know i raced for a long time. I've worked with athletes for, you know, quite a while, and nutrition was kind of a, a passion uh, of mine. So I, you know, did a lot of research on it, a lot of research, a lot of trial and error on myself. Right. So, um, yeah. So I, I have a background in it, but again, like I said, I'm not a nutritionist. So, you know, there is a lot of research on all sorts of different types of diets out there, and I'm I'm a firm believer of calories in, calories out. Balanced diet, yes, there's, you know, fat adaptive or there's, you know, all sorts of uh, things probably we'll talk about, ketogenic diet, those types of things. And there is a place for those, and they do have some validity. But as an endurance athlete, your body does need carbohydrate. At certain times of the year, your carbohydrate intake does need to be relatively high because your muscles, muscle glycogen, your brain, all functions off of that carbohydrate in your muscle glycogen. So if you don't have that, there's only so far you can so let's speak of that then. You mentioned the ketogenic yep. diet. So um, talk a little bit about the ketogenic diet and endurance athletes. Yeah. So have you talked about the ketogenic diet on your show before? Uh, we Quite a bit we have. Yes. Quite a bit. Okay. So um, the ketogenic diet, so then your, your listeners are somewhat familiar with it, is basically training your body to use ketones as a fuel source. Um, ketosis. Ketosis. Uh, Again, like I said, I am not a nutritionist, but for an endurance athlete, ketosis, it works at certain times of the year when we're creating that foundation and we're creating that base to become more fat adaptive. So to put it into basic terms, there's a point when your body needs carbohydrates. It basically just starts burning a super high percentage of carbohydrates. And I always call that your crop level point. So there's a certain level of, you can measure it from um, blood lactate, measurements, heart rate primarily, uh, oxygen uptake, you know, we do it in a lab to get exact numbers, but where your body says, okay, I need muscle glycogen, carbohydrate, in order to fuel my activity. Once you cross that threshold, you need carbohydrate and at a certain percentage. And if you don't have it, if you train your body to burn fat as a fuel source only, and that's all you are consuming, there's a level where your body's going to say, this is as hard as I can push. I just don't have the carbohydrates to fuel this type of effort. So, you know, if you look at lots of endurance athletes, some of them, they train with ketogenic type diets to become more fat adaptive and to become leaner and fitter and more efficient. But once you get to a certain point, you know, your body, your body isn't as efficient burning fat as something like 20% more um, oxygen uptake. Right? I'm going to have to look that one up. Uh, don't quote me. But it does require more oxygen to burn fat as a fuel source. So at a certain level, you want to be extremely efficient because you are trying to go extremely hard. You want every ounce of energy you have to go into moving you forward at a really high effort level. 
So if you're also wasting energy to burn fat as a fuel source, that's a problem. Yeah, and you know, I've I've debated with many of people when it comes to the ketogenic diet mm-hmm. and endurance athletes, and I, not every time. I mean, not every time, but many times I'll ask them. I'll say, "Hey, okay, find me one high caliber endurance athlete that um, you know uses a ketogenic diet and is competitive." And, you know, what a lot of times what they'll quote is they'll quote, you know, a guy that's, uh, you know, doing an ultra marathon or something like that. And he's keto, which, you know, um, you know, there's less intensity there. So can you talk about that with, you know, intensity in carbohydrate and all that? Yeah, yeah. So that and that's a good point. So you can find some successful like endurance ultra marathoners, um, endurance, you know, like race across America athletes who are successful on the ketogenic diet. Because that crossover point when your body says, okay, I need a higher level of carbohydrates and fat um, as a fuel source. I'm burning more lipids at lower levels. But when they cross over that point, you know, the heart rate is just for, in, for general terms, let's just say for a specific athlete, that crossover point is at a heart rate of 150. So your endurance cyclist or endurance runner is going to keep a fairly low heart rate because they, they can't go super hard. If they do, they're going to burn out. Right. So they're keeping their effort level below that 152 for their crossover point. So their body is burning lipid as a fuel source primarily or a higher percentage. So they can just keep the, the carbohydrates to an absolute minimum. You know, I think in order for your body to be going to ketosis, it's uh, 50 grams of carbohydrates per day or less, I think. That so, sounds a little bit high, so, doesn't it? 50 grams? Yeah. Uh, is it going to get close to I was thinking more like 20. And I'm sure it's... than 50. Yeah, it oh, is. And, and I'm yeah. sure it's variable, too. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, it depends on the athlete. Yeah. Size, well, no, I appreciate you sharing that. And I, point, yeah. Um, I've debated with my brother, who's a bodybuilder. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I've debated with some CrossFitters too, who say that they can do yeah. keto. And and I mean, with their CrossFitters, it makes complete sense because their their right. workouts are 15 minutes long. They're not right. even going to burn and their glycogen, right? Exactly. And what's their objective? To get lean and look ripped, right? Right. Fuel a 15 minute, you know, just bananas workout. They can manage that with right. the ketogenic diet. Say, I need you to do your CrossFit workout, and then I need you to go run, you know, a half marathon or a 10k. They could probably do it with enough stores that they've got in them, uh, lots of glycogen, but they're not going to be able to do it very frequently or very well. Correct. Correct. And so. I think one thing that I always find really interesting is that a lot of times the people that are telling you these ketogenic diets work, they're not endurance athletes themselves. They never tried it. Yeah. Um, but I will tell yeah. you that the last thing I would want in a, you know, short cross country, short, short cross country race where my heart rate is 170 is to try to eat meat and drink oil. I think think it's hard enough to drink water with carbohydrate mixed in. Yeah. And that's, again, we're going to get, I'm going to get pushed back from this, you know, just because there are those diehard ketogenic athletes that just think this is the only way to go. And okay. If you're trying to get lean, and your all your activity is endurance based or low, you know, effort level based, fine. Ketogenic will probably work for you. And again, there are there are endurance athletes that do use a ketogenic diet 
early in the season when they're doing base miles and duration to build that foundation so that their body does become more fat adaptive and they become leaner so that when they start doing their intensity and they start taking in carbohydrate, they're more effective, they're more efficient, they're leaner, they're ready, you know, they're just addressing it as a periodic um, training adaptation. Yeah, and that, and that definitely makes some sense in base season when you're at lower intensity, um, for sure. So, um, so let's talk. Let's move on a little bit um, with other. You mentioned cycling being a low impact sport. Um, one of the disadvantages of that is that it doesn't increase bone strength. So, there's actually some young cyclists, um, and I, I'm sure you know a lot more about it than I do. But there are young cyclists that that get osteoporosis because they're they don't do enough gym work. So can you hit on that a little bit? Yeah, definitely. And that is another kind of passion or project of mine is I'm a firm believer in strength work, you know, to an extent that it is helping you achieve your overall objective. Um, I think a lot of cyclists think, oh, I just need to pedal. And there is this old adage, you know, I remember when I first started racing, you know, there were a lot of road riders like, oh, I don't want to lift weights my arms will get bigger, and that's more weight that I have to carry. And that was kind of how we all thought. You know, if you look at some of the riders from the, well, they're still pretty thin, but at least now they know that strength training is going to help them adapt to being a better cyclist because they're going to be more efficient at supplying that energy system where it needs to go. They're not going to be just a one-dimensional athlete. And for road cycling, it's a little different. You're looking for outputs and power and strength. Um... But you need to be stable and strong so that when you, even if you finish your cycling career or just as a, you know, generally functioning as a normal day-to-day person, you need to be strong and stable. Cycling takes a lot of, a lot of effort. So if you have a weak core or low back, you know, is really weak and you try to supply a massive amount of wattage in a stage race, something's going to get because that effort needs a foundation to stand on. So if you have weak shoulders, weak core, weak obliques, those kinds of things, these glutes, something's going to get. So becoming a complete athlete is pretty important, and especially on the mountain bike side of things. We're finding that, well, courses nowadays aren't like they used to be, just climb and then descend. Now they are they're scary. I mean, there are features in the World Cup courses that, you know, I really can love riding mountain bikes, but I'll pull up to them when I'm riding with the group and say, look, I don't think I'm going to ride this. I'm pulling around. That, yeah, at, that's on the, on the cross-country courses? Yes. Is yes. that right? Yeah. Yeah, so you have to be not only efficient at just riding your bike, you have to be able to react, you know, a jump, a turn, a really rocky section. So you have to pedal and move your bike through this rocky section it requires balance, strength, stability. You know, so the fastest guy is the one who can keep pedaling his bike at fractions of a second faster than the guy who's trying to, you know, manage his bike through this rocky section because he's not as strong in the upper body, he's not stable in his core, he's not, you know, he doesn't have glute meat, isn't working to keep his knee lined up over his pedal. So strength is hugely important, in fact. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So um, that wraps up segment two. Let's talk a little more details about strength when we come into segment three. You are listening to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Call in, ask Jason a question, 509-765-1470. Welcome back to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. If you weren't with us over the last two segments, we have Jason Jablonski with us from Set Coaching 
and we've been going over um, cycling as a discipline, um, eating, uh, training, recovery, all the important stuff that you guys have heard over and over on the radio show about recovery, um, exercise, and diet. All three of those are so important. So, Jason, you were talking a little bit about strength training. So, um, mountain biking and strength training or uh, even road cycling. Tell us a little bit of exercises that we could be doing as cyclists or should be doing as cyclists to help us uh, strength train. Sure. Um, probably, I mean, to start, I think most athletes need to work on a more stable and strengthen their core. So, you know, planks, but doing planks properly. So, you know, you can YouTube a million different videos on how to do a plank so just do some research so many people do these actually if you're doing a plank for six to eight minutes you know after a couple of weeks you're probably not doing them properly um you know a couple of minutes is kind of maximum what you would need lateral movements you know as runners cyclists swimmers you know lateral motion is something we never work in our plane of motion for right. our main sport so making sure we're stable uh, is super important so those are two kind of really really big the monster walk is a good lateral exercise and side lunges maybe side lunges yep. yep yep that's a good one um you know a lot of them are body weight you know, a lot of exercises i recommend even up to you know pretty high level athletes are can be body weight based or minimum amount of weight you don't need tons of uh tons of plates in order to to get strong. So. I, I totally agree with that. I want to, I want to just um, even hit that home harder is that, um, you know, most, a lot of the exercises that you prescribe for me is body weight and maybe some light weights, but mm-hmm. um, some people find it hard to believe that usually the heaviest weight for most of my exercise, the heaviest thing I do is, you know, a 35 pound kettlebell and mostly yep. body weight. And yep. you can get incredible gains with, with, with your body weight. And, the nice thing is, too, is you don't need a big, a lot of equipment to do that, of course. Correct. So, you yeah. know, um, so let's go back a little bit into diet, if you don't mind. Sure. And and what about cycling your diet around your workouts? Yeah. So you're talking about carbohydrates during certain times of the day. Correct. Uh, more protein. Yeah. So cycling your diet around your workout is great if you have the time and energy to do so um you know making sure that you have carbohydrates to fuel your exercise and then protein to recover and then fat you know kind of towards the end of the day um just to fuel the rest of your day and kind of keep you from i guess too much carbohydrate yes we talked about i'm backpedaling here i think you can't keep your diet at a really high level of carbohydrate all the time so if you're 70 80 percent carbohydrate in your diet that can be a problem just with the amount of carbohydrate we put into the system our body can well i mean the whole issue with diabetes and if we can absolutely to do that time and time again absolutely so, yeah so t- tell us how this um i i even you know even if we're for everyday people what about cycling our diets around our activities i mean that's the same concept correct yeah, very much so. Yeah, um, I, and I think that's important. I think the thing that most, um, I guess, general athletes don't address is the recovery aspect of nutrition um, for their diet. So I had a conversation with uh, a, a dentist that I train. It's 
working on an Ironman and talking about the, uh, the exercises they're doing and said, look, you're starting to pick up your effort level. We're not just doing base work now. We're starting to increase intensity. What is your specific nutrition routine for these harder efforts once they get to this, this level? And that was, I don't have one. Okay. So we need to address that because as soon as you finish a workout, your body is going, well, how do I, how do I repair from this? That hurt. I need, you know, A, B, and C in order to repair the damage I'm done, that's been done. Okay. Are you supplying A, B, and C so that your body can adapt? Fat, you know, carbohydrate, um, yeah, protein. And I tell athletes, just make it simple. You know, one thing I recommend for a lot of athletes is just some type of nutritional shake, even ones off the shelf. I'm a big fan of Ensure because it's fat, carbohydrates, and sugar, and it's easy to digest, and it's, you can find it anywhere. So if you're doing an event or you're traveling right. and you're going to get a workout in, you can find this anywhere. Yeah, it can work. Yeah, that, that's for sure. That, that doesn't have yeah. to be fancy, that's for sure. Exactly. Yeah. So um, so now we're – so 2020 is a, an Olympic year, correct? Correct, yeah. So you work with some of the potential Olympic athletes, is that correct? So, yeah, so, my, well, my role is to supply or find the next group that will be our Olympic competitors. So right now, you know, all our, well, other than one who is in 19, no, he's 21 now. He's, most of the athletes are outside of my, I guess, jurisdiction, which is 23 and under. So... I don't work with them specifically, but I do work with them on, you know, World Cup trips and things like that. So I am involved, but they are not under my umbrella, per se. So. I see. So is are, is the United States going to eventually be possibly in the cross-country discipline, be um, competitive on a world? Well, world uh, right now, yeah. yeah, right in the women's field right now, we are. I mean, we have last year or the year before last, we had a world championship, our world champion in Kate Courtney. She kind of had an amazing year in her first elite uh, elite um, season, won world championships, and then last year she did really well. She won the overall in the World Cup title. Lost world championships, but she still had an amazing year, um, was right up there competing with everyone. So she's, she is definitely one of the favorites for an Olympic medal this upcoming year. Or, that's awesome yeah. for this year. And what was her name for our readers and listeners? Kate. Or, yep, no problem. Kate Courtney. I think actually she was just on the cover of Outside Magazine, like maybe last month or the month before. So cool. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah. And so we're in the women's category. We are one of the top three. I mean, we have I think UCI rankings, which is the Union Cycling International. We are ranked, I think, second in the women's category for Mount Viking. Super cool. Behind, That's super cool. Yeah, behind Switzerland. That's super cool. So, and the men were 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 just a little bit behind, getting more competitive. Had some up and comers, maybe. Um, we're hoping so. So that's where I, I where my role uh, comes in. I I'm looking at trying to find our 2024 and 2028 Olympians. So I work with those athletes, trying to identify them, um, get them the resources they need, help them with their training if they don't have a coach, if they do have a coach, coordinating with their coach and their team. Um, so yeah, that's, that's where I'm working because on the men's side, we have some great athletes. You know, we have, some, you know, Keegan Swenson, one of our top guys, Chris Levin, Luke Valvenbelder, a guy out of here, Cole Patton, 
He's uh, from Kashmir. He's ranked number four in the country. You know, we're only going to get one spot probably for the Olympics this year, but those are our top four kind of competitors for it. So right now, Luke, uh, not Luke, I'm sorry, Keegan Swenson is definitely the front runner. So, so, and Cole, so, yeah. just you can say it. Can you say it? That he's one of your athletes? Yeah, I've worked with Cole since he was 14. Right. So, and yeah. yeah, we always know who's going to win when Cole shows up. <laughs> right. Yeah, Cole's a bit of a, he's a kid that does the work, you know, and it's, he's taking it day by day and knows that he's got a long goal for this or a long uh, vision for this. And he's went from, you know, 14 years old, just barely getting into it to, Racing at the professional level, he's ranked fourth in the country right now, and races for giant bicycles, and is a top, you know, a top pro out of our country. So, and he's and only he, tw- and he's only twenty one. Yeah, twenty one. Crazy. Yeah, yeah. that and is crazy. He's following. We had another athlete out of here named Stephen Edinger, who was who retired two or three years ago. He was multiple national champion. He missed the Olympics in twenty sixteen by one spot. It was down to a vote and it was between him and one other guy and he missed it, but he was out of cashmere as well. So there's something in the water. In and he, <laughs> well, yeah, hey, he was, I think Jason, I think you have to take some credit. I know mean, those guys are amazing athletes, but now, now Steven coaches for set coaching now, correct? He did. Yeah. So Steven coaches for me a bit. I, I coached Steven since he was 14 as well. And then when he retired, he wanted to do a little coaching. So he still coaches a little bit. He's in med school right now. Oh, good. that's uh, right. His dad's a doctor. His dad is a doctor, right. uh, an ER doctor here in Wenatchee. So, Cole, or Luke is getting me straight here. Um, Stephen is going into the medical field, so he doesn't have a whole lot of time to coach him. Yeah. So maybe it's not something in the water, but maybe it has something to do with um, set coaching, teaching these Well, there's kids. a process. And I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. very lucky that I get to work with these highly dedicated athletes. So. That's, that's super cool. It's, it's good that you can yeah. inspire them and keep them inspired without burning out that's 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 well, so important there you know and this is something i say i mean you're racing your bike yes you want to make it a profession but if it's not fun it's really not worth doing you know there's going to be times when you're suffering like a dog training in the snow and you got to do three and a half hours and it's cold and wet so make sure that on those other times it's fun you are again as a career you're racing your bike yeah, absolutely. It's got to be fun. Any any form yep. of form that has to. And we're not going to make a lot of money at it. That's for sure. Exactly. Exactly. So, what is? I have a. It's more of a, a question from a a uh, a, a gal that's a cyclist, and mm-hmm. very personal to me. And um, what about pec development and women getting sore sh- sore pecs and shoulders at cycle? Yeah. So that. That, that can be multiple factors, you know, because we're in a static position on the road bike or the mountain bike for so long. If we're not fit properly, you know, the weight distribution of, you know, our, our saddle and our contact points in the front for the handlebars, if that's off, it's how we hold ourselves on the bike. And a lot of times that also comes from us just bracing ourselves with our shoulders. So when we reach for those handlebars, we just pull onto the handlebars, right, nice and tight. Right. When all we should be doing is just resting our hands on the handlebar and using our core and low back and those strong muscles to support is much stronger and a lot more muscles there than our shoulders to support it. So when I, I mean, you've probably seen this a million times, is in a workout I'll say, hinge at the waist, don't round at the back. 
Right. Because what we're doing is we're hinging at the waist to use our core to be stable and strong and just resting our hands handlebars, not grabbing those handlebars, rounding at the back and leaning forward, but all the way on the handlebars. So even a recreational rider should have a good bike fit. Is that what you're suggesting? Oh, yes, yes, very much so. I, you know, the worst, and I used, in college, I worked at a sporting goods store here um, called Oliver Sports in Wenatchee. Worked there for many years. I still am affiliated with them. I do bike fits out of their store. Great, great, great family. There yes, they are. So, yeah, so we work together still quite a bit. And, you know, I used to sell a lot of bikes, and some of the people would say, you know, I'm not really sure what I'm going to do this, and use it the right loop. And we talk about needing a bike fit, and I said, well, yeah, I think everyone needs one to some extent, because the one thing I don't want is to see you in two years, and you say, yeah, I bought that bike, but it was uncomfortable, so I never rode it. I want to make sure that if you're a recreational cyclist riding on the loop, or you're trying to compete at the top level, you need to be positioned correctly. So you're avoiding knee injuries, you're avoiding hip injuries, you're avoiding shoulder injuries. So even on, you know, recreational bikes, that still comes into play. That's awesome. So we got to wrap up the show here, Jason. So what are your parting words for anybody that's a, a recreational cyclist for, our, cyclist for our everyday people? What would you like to, like to part with uh, about um, cycling? Oh, just have fun. Don't be intimidated. I mean, we all, cycling can be an intimidating sport. You see all these people dressed up in lycra and <laughs> super fancy bright colors and, you know, racy helmets. And, you know, a lot of those guys just like to look the part. You know, some of them are beginners just like you. And if the cycling community is super in, inviting. So if you ever have questions, just, I'm sure there's someone at the local bike shop that can help you out. Get involved in the sport. Reach out to me. I talk about this stuff. 24 uh, 7 every day of the week and i'm always happy to answer questions and help someone get involved in any type of sport. okay one one quick question and then we gotta wrap yeah. it up in a minute yeah. what about recumbent bikes recumbent bikes they're fun let's go with that uh, they are a lot of fun <laughs> they are a blast and they're you know if you're looking to alleviate some type of you know if you got back problems you can find a recumbent bike that's going to work for you and get you out there so. awesome Good to hear. So, Jason, um, how do people get a hold of you? How would you like them to contact you? What's the best way? Definitely probably my email. I'm sitting in front of my computer most days. So it's coaching at msn.com or jason at setcoaching.com. Either one of those work great. You can you know, find me there or www.setcoaching.com and reach out. If you have any questions, I'll be more than happy to help you out. Awesome. I appreciate it, Jason. It's been a great show. Thank you for all your wonderful expertise on the show to our listeners and viewers. And with that, with that, we wrap up the show. You've been listening to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. We will see you and talk to you Monday.